Welcome to the New City Church Podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine, that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, a special member of New City Church, Josh Matthews, is preaching a message from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, and the message is called Heavenly Investments. Where is your treasure? We hope you are blessed by the message today. Right. Good morning, church family. Uh, obviously, you can see that, uh, oh, for those of you who are visiting, uh, I am not Pastor Joel. Uh, my name is Josh Matthews. I'll be uh, sharing the word with you this morning. So, but before we get into the word, uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that it is truth and that it is instruction and it's your letter of love to us. And Lord, we're thankful for being able to uh, come to you in our uh, weakness and in our, our, our need for you and you hear us and you love us and you speak to us. So, Lord, this morning, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, that you would teach us, that you would exhort us, as you have been. And, Lord, we also uh, lift up our, our pastor, uh, Pastor Joel, as he's uh, not feeling well and he's, uh, he's at home. Lord, I pray that you would bless his rest and that you would restore him and, and bring him back to us uh, healthy and, and well, Lord. We're so thankful for all that you do and, and all you continue to do and, and all that you will do. We pray you would bless this time as we spend it in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, um, my name is Josh Matthews. I've been attending here at New City. I've been, we've been members for just over two years. And we've been very blessed to uh, fellowship with this with this church family and with this with this body, and uh, spending time in in God's word in preparation for a teaching this morning uh, is very uh, very humbling. Uh, I love God's word and I love to share it and be able to talk and share with with those who are uh, in that same place of reverence for His word. The title of my message and the particular passage that we're going to be working through this morning, uh, as, as our brother Matt read, it's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, and I titled the sermon, Heavenly Investments. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks as we've been working through this particular passage in Matthew, Jesus has been addressing topics which refer to our relationship with God as our Father. And I believe that this, this particular area of Scripture that we're in is addressed specifically to Christians. And the reason that I say that is because if you, if you notice, uh, through all of chapter 6, there's a reoccurring theme. There's a phrase that Jesus continues to use, and he, he says, uh, "'You're our Father.'" or your heavenly father. And he uses that particular phrase 11 times in chapter 6 alone, a couple times in, in 
chapter 5. So that's why I say that it's those who've been adopted into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And over the last few weeks, where we've been kind of in this area of the Sermon on the Mount, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5 through 7, we've been seeing Jesus addressing the, the motives and the, and the intents of the heart. Uh, we, we have been talking about uh, giving and, and praying and fasting. Now, when we're seeking approval from others and wanting to be seen, because that was the indictment that Jesus had uh, been working through the, with the religious leaders and the Pharisees, he said, don't be like them. When we're wanting that approval from others and wanting to be seen, or approval from the world, then what that really indicates is a, a breakdown or a, or a problem with our relationship with the Father. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, the Lord begins to address our relationship with the world and the things that are in it. And when the scripture addresses the world, what it's really referring to is, is an outlook or a, or a mentality or, or a way of thinking and looking at things, and really uh, in the way of looking at all of life. The world is in opposition to God, and it will do its best to get us down and to uh, seek to wreak havoc on our spiritual life. And worldliness is, uh, is so subtle, and, and really it's, it's pervasive, and we're all guilty of it, and often even without realizing it. And it affects all, uh, all of our attitudes uh, towards life. So the Lord is going to teach us today and over the next several weeks that this attack from the world or this, uh, this tendency to worldliness, it takes two main forms. The first is a, is a positive love for the world. And then number two, uh, anxiety with respect to it. So this, this morning, we're, <clears throat> we're actually going to be discussing the love for the world and why we are drawn to it. So I'll give you a, a little outline of where we're going to go and, and how this is, uh, this is all laid out. <clears throat> In verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives us a command regarding our investments or our, or our treasures. In verse 21, he addresses our, our heart and that it lies with where our treasures are. And then in verses 22 and 23, he talks about our mind and how the things that we think uh, affect how we see the world. And then finally in verse 24, he addresses our will and who we are slaves to serve. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus gives us a command that's twofold. 
One, he approaches it from two angles, one from the positive side and then one from the negative side. He says, do not lay up treasures, do not lay up, sorry, do not lay up yourself, for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the Lord puts it in such a way from those both, both of those angles, number one, to emphasize the importance of it, but also to make it so that we're without excuse, that we didn't understand what he meant. Now, from the negative side, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And so when we stop and think about that, what, what are treasures? And what are my treasures? And I think if we confine our thinking to money only, I think we will we'll miss so much. Certainly he talks about, he's addressing money, but that's not where it's limited to. The Greek word for treasures is thesaros, which is very similar to our English word thesaurus, which is a collection or a, or a treasury of words. And the word treasures is a very broad and I believe it's an all-inclusive term. Not just money, but the things that money can buy that we treasure. And I don't believe that the Lord is really so concerned with how much money or possessions or about the, the things that I have because truthfully, he's the one that has given them in the first place. It's, it's not wrong to have possessions, but what he is concerned about is my attitude toward my possessions. He goes on, he says, do not lay up. And lay up means to amass or reserve or heap or store up. So I have to stop and evaluate my life and look and say, what am I storing up? What am I heaping up? When I look at the world, the world is amassing. Uh, every, every day, more and more storage units are being built <laughs> because our barns and our bigger barns don't house all of our things and all of our, all of our stuff. And I have to evaluate my life. Do I, do I store up? And what are, the, what are the motives? What are the reasons? So I don't go without when hard times come or so I can take care of myself and be self-sufficient, which that's, uh, that's a mainer thing. Uh, I think uh, we're, we're used to being hard and tough and we have to survive the winters and we get a narrow window of uh, summer, uh, which we're very blessed to be right in the middle of prime time right now, which is very awesome. But being self-sufficient and, and having things stored up for a rainy day, it isn't a bad thing as long as we don't put our trust in it. So what is your treasure? What is my treasure? Are they earthly treasures? Because the Lord said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And the Lord is is warning us not to confine our ambitions or our interests or our hopes or the things that we treasure to this life alone, um, you know, on earth. 
And we all have treasures in some form or another. Uh, for some, it may be money. For others, it may be their house, um, their, their hobbies, or their job. Or it could be a person that you're really living for. For others, it's the love of status, the love of honor, the love of, of position. Whatever it is, those things end with this life. So no matter what it is, how, how small it is, if I'm living for it and I'm trusting in it and it's everything to me, then it's my treasure. And I dare say it's an idol. Idolatry can be so subtle <clears throat> that you don't even know that it's happening. And this hits home with me. Um, it's uh, it's close to home, and that's kind of a, a pun, too. It hits home with me because... Oh, so I'll, I will uh, share a little bit about some of uh, my uh, background and my uh, backstory and how we came to be here. Um, so we moved to Topsom just a, uh, just a year ago. Prior to that, we lived in Pittsfield for 11 years. The 10 years prior to that, uh, I'm a chemical engineer by trade, so I worked at paper mills and bounced around in northern Maine between Millinocket, East Millinocket, Lincoln for about 10 years. And after all of those mills finally closed, uh, I moved on to uh, Skowhegan, uh, to, the, to the mill there uh, in Skowhegan, and we bought a house in Pittsfield. And that was actually going home for me, so because I grew up there. My parents grew up there and went to high school there. I went to high school there. My grandparents grew up there and went to high school there. Uh, so uh, it was exciting. So my parents were ecstatic to have us and all the grandkids uh, close to home and to be back at home. And so we, we uh, the property that the Lord blessed us with, uh, we had 23 acres. We had a nice house. It wasn't a fancy house, but it was it was nice and it fit us well. Um, we had 23 acres of land, uh, a field out and back, and a lot of uh, forested area. I built a three-story treehouse for the kids when we when we moved in, the, right on the edge of the back field, so it was overlooking the field and. Because I like to hunt, I, the top floor ended up being my floor, and uh, we had a uh, a very nice shooting bench uh, that was 12 feet long and three feet deep, and so you could line like three or four people up in a in a row across and see about 250 yards down to the bottom end of the field. So, so we we got three deer out of that field, and so awesome blessing, uh, and. We, uh, we really put our roots down and, and made that home. I had a couple uh, snowmobiles, a couple like small ones. I had a, a 1991 Skidoo Tundra, a long track, single one cylinder. Uh, a 1987 Skidoo long track, uh, great ice fishing sleds. 
but I would tow the kids around. I, we probably drove a thousand miles uh, all around the, the yard. And we were probably, we never went more than 20 miles an hour, but it sounded like we were going like 80 miles an hour. And the, the kids had a blast. We would use those snowmobiles to tow around a sled and because we would do maple syrup. Uh, we tapped trees and were making anywhere between 10 to 15 gallons of maple syrup each year. We built a little pizza oven out of some bricks that were there on the property. Um, put a couple tree stands down. I learned the, the patterns of the, of the deer, and unbeknownst to me, it was uh, a beautiful piece of land that funneled between a, a swamp and some fields, and there was a bottleneck where I could put a stand, and I could basically see any animal that traveled through that particular patch of woods. So I patterned them uh, super awesome. It was like, oh, man, this is, this is great. And our house was... Uh, open enough so that we would have folks over and we would enjoy having fellowship and, and Bible study there at the house. So all those things were, were a blessing. And I was blessed to have a good job that was close by. But my job was uh, in, an, in production and we had a, uh, a rebuild on, a, on one of our paper machines that was very time consuming. And, and so my work-life balance struggled. And in God's grace and in his mercy, he allowed me to go from this uh, production engineering role and to transfer to the research and development group. But they were st stationed in Westbrook. And so I applied for the job, and I'm like, praise God, this able to go and still stay with the same company, but uh, in a job that would give me a, more of a, uh, a, a balance of work that would be better for my family and better for time with them, and better for service to the Lord. But the one caveat to that was from Pittsfield to Westbrook was an hour and a half drive. And they said, no, you're going to have to relocate if you want that job in Westbrook. And I said, oh, man. And so truthfully, I was... I shameful to admit it, but I was a brat. I was, I was mad. And I had conversations with the Lord, and like, Lord, what? How? My folks live three miles down the road one way. My wife's parents live three miles down the road the other way. The kids can like bike or or walk. We can. We'll, we have to leave them our, our home and. Uh, uh, I have to sell my things. Uh, uh, what? Why? How? How can this be? I I don't like this. I'm 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 mad. But at the same time, I needed to realize that the Lord had had blessed me, and the blessings had started to become an idol for me. I think that's a good check. And you say, oh, well, I have things, and I have, I have a house, and I, and uh, if, I had to, if I had to move, then I would, if the Lord told me to. But that's a, that's a good check, is 
is that so important to you? Is that, does that thing, would that thing ruin you if you had to, to do it, if you had to move and, and be obedient to God in that way? So this hits home for me. It, you saw the little, like little sparkles in my eyes as I was kind of describing, you know, how I, uh, the, what we enjoyed, the blessings that we enjoyed there. But it's really easy to take those blessings and turn them into, into idols and not even really realizing it and not wanting to. But, but we need to be willing to give things up and hold material things loosely because the Lord may ask us to, to let them go, and we need to be willing. And the, the interesting thing is, with all of those things, they were all replaceable, and there was nothing super fancy about any of that, but it was just the, the, the memories and the, and the ideas, uh, the idea of it, I was holding them too tightly. <clears throat> And another area that the Lord has convicted me in uh, through the preparation for this message is in my use of time. And actually, I want to do a quick time check. Uh, so, time is such a valuable resource. It's something that we might not think of as a treasure, but there's some truth in that old adage, time is money. Uh, time has value. Once it's been consumed, it's gone. And the bigger thing is, time is finite. On what am I spending the precious minutes of my day? Am I investing them in the kingdom for the glory of God? Or am I just spending them? Am I just wasting them, wasting them on things that have no eternal value? The truth is that I'm a, I'm a custodian of all these things. It's to him that I'll need to give an account for how I've stewarded all of the resources that he's blessed me with. I need to be careful how I use these things, and more importantly, my attitude towards them. So put your finger here in Matthew chapter 6 and flip over a couple pages to Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> and that should be, it should be coming up on the page, up, up on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. Jesus has a discussion with a, uh, with a young man who happened to be wealthy. And in verse 16, he says, And behold, a man came to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I've kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you'd be perfect, go and sell what you possess 
and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Unfortunately, that is a, uh, a love of the world. It's a love of treasures. And it's such a tragedy, right? I mean, we, we read that, and he went away sorrowful. I, we don't know if he ever came back. We don't know if he ever went and, and sold those things. But we know that the Lord continues this dialogue, and he, in verse 23, he, Jesus turns to his disciples And he says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, All things are possible. And Peter said in reply, See, we've left everything and followed you. Well, what will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Yeah, those are, those are heavy, and those, those verses stick with me because of some of the things that the Lord had brought me through. But now from the positive side, Jesus said, but in contrast, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So with whatever resources, great or small, that you've been given in this life, use them in such a way that you're building up a balance in eternity. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, and you don't have to turn there, but I'll, I'll turn there real quick. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says in verse 17, As for the rich of this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hope on, uncertainty, on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides you with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may, be, they may take hold of that which is truly life. Doing good, be rich and generous to share. And Peter echoes a similar sentiment, but he talks about these riches that, are, that we store up, the treasures that we store up in heaven. 
and that they're reserved for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have an inheritance if we store up our treasures in heaven, we put them in the hands of God the Father. And that inheritance is incorruptible. It's a guaranteed return on our investment. How awesome is that? There's no guarantee on any investment here. God himself is reserving it for us and guarding it. It's amazing. But isn't it so easy to become enamored with the things of this life? And the, and the fact that we all need to embrace is that in this life, we're, we're pilgrims and we're, we're sojourners. We're walking through this life under the watch of our Father in the direction of our future home toward our everlasting hope. And the heroes of the Hall of Faith had it right. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham. And the author of Hebrews says in verse 13 of chapter 11, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been talking about and thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. And man, you can see, you probably can't see it, but that always gives me goosebumps. So I feel like my hair is standing up. But we have a, we have a city and we have a, we have a future home that's prepared for us, that's incorruptible. And these who, who had faith to endure so much, they held this world loosely. They were looking for their future home, their new home, the real home. In this world, we are living in tents, but the Lord has gone to prepare a place for us. So if I, if I rightly see my life in this world as a, as a pilgrim, a child of God going home to my father, then everything starts to fall into its correct perspective. What I possess and my resources, they're a tool that God has given me to be used for his glory. And not only did Jesus give us a command in verses 19 and 20, but in his grace and in his love for us and knowing that we're, that we're weak, uh, it was all within his right to just give us a command and say, this is what you need to do and do it. But he also gives us reasons why, and they're very logical reasons. First of all, 
he appeals to our common sense. He says, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Worldly treasures just don't last, do they? I mean, really, you, you look at them and you take a, take a look. They're all subject to decay. If we take time to stop and, and look around us, it's obvious. And we're Mainers, right? We know rust. So take a look out in the parking lot and you see that decay is happening. If, you're, if you've spent any time in Maine, uh, we can understand rust. But in a spiritual sense too, things of this world, they're always deficient, right? They all have flaws. They never satisfy. We tend to get tired of them and then we seek new things. All the earthly things can't avoid corruption of moth and rust. It's interesting that, that the Lord uses those, uh, those words. In that day and time, they were, they were certainly elements of, uh, of decay. But moths, they, what do they do? They, they burrow in and then they eat from the inside out. Rust attacks on the outside and works its way in. Earthly treasures are being attacked from, from both sides, in both directions. And there are thieves. There's so many thieves in this world. They're constantly threatening to break in and steal from us. And we do our best to, to hunker down and, and defend ourselves. But these bandits, these thieves that Jesus is referring to, they're pervasive. And the thief could be a person but it also could be, it could be illness. It could be war. It could be an economic collapse. Or it could be, finally, death itself. Jesus said, thieves break in and steal. Not thieves might break in and steal. It can't be prevented. It's part of living in a broken world. And secondly, even maybe more importantly, Jesus warns us of the spiritual danger and the grip and the power that earthly things can have on us. In one way or another, we are all in the grip and the power of worldliness, and it be can become our master unless we are watching for it, unless we're aware and watchful. So take a look at verse 21 in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Our hearts are at risk here. The things of this world, they grip us. And I think of my, my own experience and, and what the, the Lord show, showed me. They grip us and, and we love them. And we pretend like we only like them but we really love them. It's part of our fallen nature. Jesus is saying, if your treasure is in heaven, then your heart will be in heaven and will be focused on heavenly things. Conversely, if your treasure is on earth, your heart will be for earthly things. I love Romans chapter 8, and you can flip over there if you'd like to. Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 5. I always liked it because Paul was so clear when he was 
explaining. And he says, for those who live according to the flesh, or say, living for earthly things and earthly treasures, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So I have to ask myself the question, where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my thoughts? What consumes me? Is it the thoughts of glorifying God and and His kingdom or spending that on myself and storing up my treasures here? In verse 22 of Matthew chapter 6, the Lord goes on and He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So these verses can be a little confusing if you don't keep them in the context of the passage. So Jesus hasn't moved on to a new topic. He's, he's given us an illustration. According to Jesus, there are two ways of looking at things, with a healthy eye or with a bad eye. And the Greek word for, for healthy is used only two places in the New Testament. Uh, it's used here, and it's also used in Luke 11.34 uh, by Jesus in a similar context. And what it applies is a singleness, a sincerity, uh, literally an absence of folds or without duplicity. And the idea here is a, a single-mindedness towards the truth. The bad eye implies uh, like a double vision and, or not seeing clearly where your, your vision is clouded by you know, what, we, what we desire and, and, and what we lust after. The love of things and the love of this world, they not only grip our heart, but he shows here that they, they grip our mind and they affect how we see things. Because we love them, our heart can make a convert of our mind. And that <clears throat> leads into this, this next point in verse 24 where Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. These things not only grip our our heart and then make a convert of our, our mind, but then they also begin to affect our will and what we do. Notice Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. And we'll all serve a master. We're all, we all are serving a master. And serving is an act of the will. It's an action. It's, and it follows logically because what we do is controlled by what we think, which is controlled by our heart and its affections, which is where our treasure is. And this is why the location of your treasure is so important. And that's why 
Jesus mentions that first in this passage. Where is your heart? And back in Romans chapter 8, he continues on. He says, for to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it cannot submit to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Both of them, both of these two masters, demand full devotion. The world is relentless. We see it. We feel the power of it. And it demands all that we have and all of our attention. And it wants us to live for it Absolutely. But on the other hand, so does God. Remember, God the Father himself said, you shall, live, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. We saw earlier, he says, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. It's a test. He who loves father and mother and home and lands more than me is not worthy of me. And the truth is, having those things aren't bad, but it's my attitude towards them, my love for them. The truth is, God is a loving Father, and He's not a cruel master like money or mammon. He's the King. He alone is worthy of devotion. And really, the reason, why do, we, why do we even struggle with these things? We struggle because it's ultimately a result of sin, the effects of sin. We live in a fallen world and a broken world, and we need God's help and we need His power to be able to master these things and not have them master us. In these, verse, these six verses that we've read, the Lord is laying out and he kind of addresses the, the different effects of sin on, on mankind. The first effect that's, is that sinful man is led by his heart, not his mind. Mankind was created to be governed by his mind, which would direct his heart to obey God. And sin wrecked that. Sin flipped that completely upside down. That's why Jesus addresses the heart first. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. David in the Psalms said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He didn't say the fool said in his mind that there is no God. He said the fool has said in his heart. It's, no, it's a, it's a heart issue. The second effect that sin has is it blinds us to the basic facts of life. Worldly treasures, they don't last. We saw that moth, moth and rust and thieves, they take them. Yet we have this desire to chase after them. Our lives are finite, but we live like tomorrow's a guarantee. Another effect is that sin blinds us to the relative value of things. I look at my time, 
in my time on this earth, and you compare that to eternity, there's no comparison. Our time here that we have, if at, at maximum, is 100 plus years. But eternity is infinite. But sin clouds that, and my fallen nature clouds that, and I, I, don't, I can't even comprehend that. The difference of darkness and light, Jesus references here, light and darkness, they don't dwell together. When light is there, darkness is gone. They're mutually exclusive. But can't darkness and light dwell together? No. But sin clouds that. The difference between man and God, man is the created being, God is the creator. And he's, he's infinite. But sin clouds and minimizes our awe and the difference between that, the huge magnitude. And a fourth effect is that sin blinds us to the impossibility of mixing opposites. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. And I say, oh, I can have these things and worship God too. And sure I can. And that's what, what the world says. And a last effect is that it makes us slaves to the things that were meant to serve and bless us. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in, in the weeks to come, but, but food and drink and our bodies and clothing, provisions, relationships, they'll, they'll all rule us. That sounds like kind of a bummer, uh, and it is a little bit. It's heavy. Those, those things are, are heavy. So what do we do in light of all of this? So I would encourage you, hold the things of this life loosely. And I have to encourage myself with these things. Don't put your stock in the things of this world, in the things of this life, because they will, they'll only let you down. Lay up your treasures in heaven. And how do we do that? Lay up our treasures in heaven by, by serving others. And serve out of, out of love. And serve out of the, as a response to the love that we've been shown by our Father. Give your heart to the Lord. I would encourage you. He won't let you down. He will never disappoint. He is a master that's worthy to be served. And pray for his strength to be in you and to be renewing your power day by day to live for him and follow him and set aside the things of the world. And if you're hearing this message and, and you haven't been set free, from your, from your sin, then today's the day. Confess your sins, repent, and be welcomed into the arms of your loving Heavenly Father. He is a master worthy of being served. He has a future and a hope for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord,
we are so grateful that you have given us your word. You've given us instruction. You've given us the ability to see you and hear you and know you. And Lord, you haven't left us alone. You haven't left us as orphans. You've given us your Holy Spirit. And he'll lead us into all truth. And he works on our hearts. Lord, help us to submit to you and surrender to your will. Because it's good for us. It's good for me. Lord, help me to be humble. Help me to set my eyes and my time on things that are eternal and not confine them to the things on this earth. Lord, pour out your spirit on us. Bless my brothers and sisters. Help us to grow closer to you. Help us to hear your voice and to treasure our relationship with you and store up our treasures in heaven. We pray all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.